Welcome to Petite Sounds, a podcast about language, parenting, and children. I'm Hector, and I'm Elaine. This is episode nine. After a little break, we're back. If you have listened to our previous episodes, you are now familiar with the approach of one parent, one language. That is when each parent uses their own language to speak to their kid. But sometimes. This approach is not the most ideal. In episode seven, we talked about different scenarios that parents may face that can be very challenging at the moment of setting a language policy for their families. Our kid is two and a half years old at the time this episode is being recorded, and we have faced some hurdles along the way. In this episode, we'd like to share our experience of how we have incorporated a third language as part of our family languages. How lockdowns increased the exposure that our kid had to the English language. How important English is in our daily lives. And we'll also have a special guest. Our friend Ilaria Zambotti will be joining us for a section of the podcast. She's the one who owned the restaurant where we met, but. Besides cooking delicious Italian food, she's a very dedicated language teacher who has taught in several countries for almost two decades, and who also had to face the challenges of multilingual education, both growing up in the north of Italy and as a mom. We'll learn a little bit more about her background. And how she's managed to raise a polyglot kid that currently speaks four languages at the age of eight. And we'll also share some tips from our very own experience to incorporate other languages into the mix. So stay tuned for the rest of this episode. We became parents a few months before lockdown started. As if being a first-time parent was not challenging enough. When our kid was born, it was easy to stick to our initial plan: one parent, one language. Although now our kid got to hear Papa's voice more often, it was mainly in English. The reality is that English is everywhere. In our case, we both studied English teaching at university. It's funny because both of us sometimes feel better prepared to explain a grammar rule of the English language than to explain one in our mother languages. Also, the research that we generally do for the podcast is mainly focused on English. And of course, music, movies, podcasts, and whatnot. A big chunk of that is also in English. Our guest for this episode realized this. And took a radical decision as part of her language policy at home. Ilaria Tambotti has traveled the world teaching languages and organizing multicultural events. She's one of the most open and welcoming people we've ever met. Hi, Ilaria. Welcome to Petite Sounds. Please tell our audience a little bit more about you. Where are you from, and how did you get into languages? I was born in the north of Italy. Uh, in the mountains, in the Dolomites, in a village in the middle of nowhere,、um, and I would say that my geographical origin has a lot to do with、uh, my relationship with languages. I grew up in an area where people are natural 
like trilingual, I would say, because uh, we live um, on the border with Austria, which means that um, in my village, for example, people speak Italian, but if you only go five kilometers down the road, people speak German. And if you go another, let's say, 10 kilometers down the road, people speak Latin, which is uh, another minority language. So in my area, the road signs are like in three different languages, being them Italian, German, and Latin. So it's not so much that I look for languages, but I just grew up surrounded by languages. Moreover, when it was time to choose like mm, high school, you know, to give a, an educational direction to my life, uh, being again uh, in the mountains, the choices were quite limited. So it was either study languages or scientific matters. Now, in like given the choice, I went for languages. And so um, I started like studying three languages when I was, what was it, 14. But even before that, we started uh, learning German in primary school. So basically I come from an Italian family started learning German when we were like six. Then I moved on to uh, a language high school when I was 14. And then I just expanded from there really. Even when I moved uh, from the village <laughs> to like a bigger city, um, my linguistic interest really naturally expanded. So yeah, I would say that more than me choosing languages, it just happened organically in my life, you know, apart from geographical reason and part because I'm a curious person. So the more I know, the more pleasure I gain, especially from different, from learning more about different cultures and meeting different people. And, you know, language is a key component in uh, defining a culture. So I will always remember something that a university professor I had back uh, at university. And he said that people from my, my area are just different. He described as, as, he described us as middle European. And I thought, I didn't pay much attention there and then, but after, like as year went by, I kept getting the same comment from different people. And I came to realize that I don't know what it is, but the area where I come from, it has actually this recognizable trademark, which is probably uh, influenced by the ability to mix and mingle different languages and culture in a umbrella, you know, it's like you generate something new. You can't just, that's the other thing that will probably come out in uh, further down in the interview, but I don't really think that people speak different languages. It is perceived as such, but I think that each one of us has their own language, you know? So in the process of creating your own reality, you mix and mingle languages, but I see, I don't see language as the starting point that comes into you. I sort of see it as an interactive tool that interacts with yourself and with the environment to make you the person you are. So going back in terms of culture, I do think that 
um, more than one language contribute to a like oh, I'm still looking for the word that doesn't count. Not a hyperculture, but like uh, a supra supra culture, maybe. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. So, Ilaria, you have chosen a very special approach for your child. Can you explain to us a little bit how you've done it so far and what the reasons were for choosing this language policy for your kid? Absolutely. Obviously, it was like uh, we thought about it a lot and uh, like there were different you know suggestion one parent one language or whatever or if you start giving too much stimuli to the kid they will start talking like later it will affect their understanding uh, you know you live in mexico teach spanish that sort of um, uh, stereotypes but I had a completely different approach. I worked responsibly, like I had a reactive approach more than proactive. And I kind of really analyzed what do we have. And what we had was a grammar that speaks Italian, 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 or Italian, a grammar that speaks Spanish, 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 or Spanish, a mother who didn't want to forget English, <laughs> me, <laughs> So I was like, why don't we try and like, like uh, infuse, use all these languages? Uh, because that's what our reality is. As I said, for me being trilingual, you know, not for me personally, but having grown in a trilingual environment, I didn't really see it as a challenge as other people would. I would have kind of see it as normal. So we just decided, let's go for it. And then uh, let's have, if issues arise, then we address those issues. But for the time being, let's teach the kid all what we can. And if there are no problems, hey-ho, she will know three languages, which is exactly what happened in the sense that there were no major issue, like her daily life uh, was in Spanish because we were like located in a Spanish-speaking country, Mexico. Uh, her daily contact with the Italian grandmother via Skype were in Italian. And the communication with me were mainly in English. So this resulted in a kid that spoke Italian with her Italian grandmother, Spanish with the rest of the world, and Spanish or Italian with me. She never produced English in the first years of life, although she was always exposed to the language. This changed when we moved to the Netherlands and it just changed abruptly. One day I had um, uh, a friend of mine visiting from the States and this friend of mine speaks English, English, English or English. <laughs> and so my daughter starts speaking English to her and she had hasn't stopped since. So around the age of, uh, what will that be, six, seven, no, actually a bit more, eight, she started producing English. And since that day, conversation with me is mainly in English. Okay? But that's, I think, is quite an interesting element. Whereas the other languages were like um, flowing naturally, with English, she had these like years of uh, uh, receiving the language without producing. Till at the age of eight, something clicked in her head and uh, all what she had learned by exposure came out in uh, as production. 
So she speaks now fluently and without any problem, Italian, Spanish, and English. You live in the Netherlands now. How have you adapted your strategy to include Dutch? Well, I hadn't mentioned that specifically because that is Gotha's story of his, uh, in its own, on its own. In the sense that when we came to the Netherlands, that is exactly, well, nearly five years ago now, I found out that there are some schools for newcomers, as they call them, and they're kind of compulsory for uh, children that come from uh, abroad. So when she was four years old, she started, no, pardon me, five years old, uh, she attended the school for newcomers. And uh, in the school for newcomers, they have like smaller groups. So it's 10 to 12 students, different age groups, different level of ability and different geographical proveniences. So it's really uh, an interesting and challenging mix and match of emotional and uh, linguistic needs. The way they work is um, very effective because it's based, uh, hugely based on visual aids, you can imagine, on music, on routines. And uh, it is amazing because they manage not only to teach you the language, but also to teach you the culture with that. So they, they do not only, for example, a lot of work on the sounds, you know, like ow, 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 that sort of monkey sees, monkey does work. Mm -hmm. But they also talk about, for example, center class or parents. I was invited as a parent on a training on uh, uh, road safety in the Netherlands and so on and so forth. So it's a very um, holistic approach that work. they work not only with children, but with families as well. And they work not only on the linguistic aspect, but also on the cultural aspects of language. And I thought it was, uh, uh, they did really, really a good job. So after one year, she started um, mainstream education and she has been in mainstream education since. Language has never been a problem. She speaks language at Dutch only in school because when I try to speak Dutch with her, she's horrified because she said that my Dutch <laughs> is too horrible, so that I make her ears bleed. So she refuses to help. And she's also attending a plus class, which is like a, a class for like a student that display the greater, a greater willingness to learn. And um, everything is going really smoothly. So now she's got the four languages and here we go. In our case, we have also adopted the same approach as Ilaria. And we are exposing our kid to English through books and music. As Ilaria mentioned, it's important to understand your context and why you want to start introducing more languages. She touches on a point that would be worth expanding, and that is that the particularities of multilingual contexts tend to be unique, and as a consequence, this is reflected in the unique features that each multilingual speaker develops. In the first chapter of the book, Trilingualism in Family, School and Community, Larissa Aronin and Mutis Olaire make the distinction between multilingualism and multilinguality, where multilingualism is defined as the process of acquiring several non-native languages, and it is the final result of this process. In this case, multilingualism is focused on the situation itself, 
Our kid, for example, is developing his language skills in a multilingual context. Multilinguality, on the other hand, they say, tries to capture the specific characteristics of each speaker. In this respect, a multilingual speaker develops their competence through the interaction of two or more systems. This means that each of the languages has an influence on the other. So then we could see multilingual development as the composition of a speaker's language skills. And in the same way that bilinguals are not two monolingual persons in one, multilinguals are not several monolinguals combined into one person. So people with partial competence and incomplete fluency are considered multilingual. And the skills considered include metalinguistic awareness. That is, how much knowledge one has about language and its inner structures. Learning strategies. How one manages to sustain our language learning and maintain the languages one has learned. As well as the passive or active knowledge we may have on the topic of languages generally, language use, and language acquisition. Aronin and Olaire describe a few characteristics that can appear in different stages of the multilingual process. Like complexity. This aspect describes the intricacies that appear when one or several dominant languages create a constellation of so-called periphery or satellite languages. This constellation of additional languages can result in the ability to understand languages that you haven't studied or being able to understand and read what you listen or read to, but being unable to produce written texts or participate in a conversation. Interrelatedness is another aspect of multilingualism, and it refers to how the parts of the system interact with one another in various patterns. Interrelations, exchanges, and contact between languages occur on all levels to a major or minor degree. For example, the contact between German and Dutch or Spanish and English. This has been observed in research where we can find suffixes and words of one language in the other. It could also happen that people constantly or intermittently switch between two or more languages. This is what we call code switching. Another phenomenon that is connected to this aspect of interrelatedness is confusing the usage of cognates, the so-called false friends. These are words that sound similar in both languages, but have different meanings. For example, embarazada in Spanish does not mean embarrassed, but pregnant. Fluctuation is also an interesting feature of multilinguality, especially because there are non-linguistic aspects, such as ethnic or cultural identity, that can be reorganized throughout the learning process. And this also involves the emotional changes of a person that is learning an additional language. In my case, for example, when I started learning German, I was so motivated and engaged 
that I would spend around four hours practicing pronunciation and vocabulary until my jaw hurt. As I progressed, my enthusiasm has fluctuated and there have been occasions where I have stopped studying altogether and then gotten back to the books. Which is also related to the aspects of variation and inconsistency that can have effects on how much we can recall from a language once we stop practicing. And this variation or inconsistency can be caused because we don't use all the languages that we have learned equally. They can be used for different functions and purposes that can range from asking for and giving daily information to more complex situations such as studying or performing. And this is what we can define as the multifunctionality of language. And it is these inequalities and in functions that can have also caused the variation of proficiency in certain domains. For example, in my case, I tend to read about linguistics in English, but if I'm reading the news or just for entertainment, I might do it in Spanish more commonly. This is also true for people who have to manage the transition from being only monolingual, then they become bilingual once they have settled in, and then they might have to transition to monolingualism in the majority language of their new community. So, in my case, for example, I could have been just monolingual in Spanish, then I move to Germany, learn German, and then that makes me bilingual, but then I have to manage a transition from being a functionally bilingual person to functioning only in German, for example, and yeah, managing all my life in German. So this is the type of transition that some people have to manage. In some cases, some people can also use the knowledge they have of the previous languages that they have learned to extend their knowledge in their new language by bootstrapping from the others that they know. This is something that I have constantly done in the languages that I have to work in. If I want to express something in French, but I'm not sure how to say it, I might try to use a word from Spanish, English, or even Italian. And this can allow me to cover different conversational situations. What's important for parents, teachers, and other educators is to consider the interdependence that different linguistic systems have in multilinguals and its implications, and how to see multilingualism as an advantage rather than a hindrance for learning. Finally, We'd like to share a few insights with you, dear listeners. Elaria, what would you recommend to parents that want to incorporate additional languages into their routines? What has worked best for you? Really, they would have to ask themselves and the child what the motivation behind it, if there's a type of intrinsic or extrinsic motivation. Intrinsic meaning if the child wants to do it to start with, Because, for example, my child has got this huge interest for languages and she was taking some uh, Korean lessons. Now she's taking Japanese lessons on top of the fourth languages, which 
is her own desire to do it. And we just like support her in that. Whereas there are different type of motivation, like when we move to the Netherlands, type of extrinsic motivation, which is you have to do it out of necessity. So, you know, that is a bit more, is a bit trickier because you don't want to impose something to a child. But on the other hand, if they want to function in a society, language is kind of a vital tool. So I would say as a tip, make sure you know what need or what what type of motivation you are addressing and uh, act accordingly. Like if it's a desire that your child expresses, then do it for fun. If it's a need that you have, still do it for fun, but with a bit more uh, probably continuity, I would say. Okay, so consistency, more consistency. Consistency, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Fantastic. It's just like consistency is the key because I think that's, well, as a language teacher myself, I've seen it like so many times happening. You know, when you go into private tutoring, parents come with the child and they expect the child to be fluent in one week. You know, uh, how is it that the child doesn't learn? Well, because learning a language, you know, it takes a lifetime. It's like running a marathon. You don't just train one day and go. It takes a bit of practice every day smoothly and, as we said, consistently. So my tip is... If you have to do it, do it consistently, a little bit every day. And we have reached the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to send your comments and questions on Twitter and Instagram at Petit Sound. Tell us what languages are part of your daily lives and what type of approach you have adopted. Leave a voice message or write a review on our website, petitsounds.com. And you can also get in touch with us if you'd like to be a guest in our podcast. Click on the follow button and don't miss a single episode. In our following episode, we'll take a look at different examples of rejection of bilingualism and multilingualism and a few strategies on how to deal with them. Talk to you in the next episode. Hasta luego. Bis bald.